0: you have to really stop and consider the scripture clearly says God is love and God's kind of powerful so therefore when you begin to see with the simplicity what God is saying what his spirit is saying there is no there cannot be any greater power than God there cannot be any greater power therefore than God's love. Because God is love. I said, God's love, not the world's love. So anyway, I'm going to do something very, well, I am going to read a couple of scriptures, but then I'm going to do something I've never done in my life before. And that years ago, I started writing The Love Walk, um, a a book. And, you know, I've been dealing with it for like seven or eight years, to be honest. And you know how it is, every time you go back to it, um, you see something else you want to change. And I'm getting to the point where I'm just finally going to release it. But when I was praying during the week, and I was looking at some of, my, some, of the, some of the book itself and looking at changes I may want to make, I really sincerely felt I heard the Holy Spirit tell me to actually read uh, the entire first chapter of what I've written. I've never done anything like that. I hope nobody thinks me being presumptuous for doing that. But that's what I'm going to do. I'm literally going to read. And I think or people are going to try to put that text up on screen. But I have to tell you, it may be difficult to try to follow along with it because there's so much. Um, so you may want to just listen, but whatever. But first, I do want to read some familiar scriptures. The last verse of 1 Corinthians 12. I read from the Amplified Bible. And I mean, really hear this. Paul says, earnestly desire... And zealously cultivate the greatest and the best gifts and graces. Remember, he's just explaining the gifts of the spirit. Earnestly desire and zealously cultivate the greatest and the best gifts and graces, the higher gifts and the choicest graces. And yet, really, I will show you a still more excellent way, and that more excellent way to earnestly desire, a more excellent way to cultivate the gifts. I show you a still more excellent way, one that is better by far and the highest of them all. Now, that's what he said love. Love. And then, the first several verses of chapter 13, he said, If I can, I know you've heard these verses before, but let's just put them down as this is the second foundational message that I'm going to bring. If I can speak in the tongues, of men and even of angels, but I have not love. That reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as is such as is inspired by God's love for us, I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers. The gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose. And I understand all the secret truths and mysteries and possess all knowledge. And if I have sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains. Think of that. But have not love. God's love in me, I am nothing, a useless nobody. Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor and providing food. And if I surrender my body to be burned or in order that I may glory, but have not love, God's love in me, I gain nothing. I don't know if you can get more profound than that. There's so many ways we'll, cons- we'll come back to this later on weeks to come about the gifts of the spirit and things like that. But to really catch this Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Covenant, New Testament, and he's saying you can have all these powers, you can have all this faith, you can have all of these things in manifestation, but the underlying thing that God looks for is do you have love? He says if you have all of that, if all of that's available in your church, if all of that's moving, if every Sunday you have great spectacular moves of the Spirit, he says, but if you don't have love, you gain nothing. Think about what God's really saying. Think about what heaven really considers worth of, you know, having, having value, what has worth. Really think about that. I always remember the prophet Bob Jones, you know, before he died, he had a, the last vision he had. He said the Lord asked him one question. He said, have you learned to love? That's the only question asked. So now that's what I wanted to start with. So now, I'm, like I said, I, if you just bear with me, I've never done this before. And I repeat, I hope nobody thinks I'm being presumptuous But I just failed to do this, so I'm going to do it. So I'm going to start just to read the first chapter. Like I said, one of the reasons I'm doing this, like I said, I'm still laying a foundation. Next week, my beautiful wife, Julie, will speak. And then I'll have another three Sundays in a row, and I'm going to go straight to it. Let me just start to read. Like I said, this is me, so hallelujah. It was 1983 in North London. And I was on the way to the Bible school in the car. I had just purchased an old but lovely BMW 3 Series that a student had sold me <clears throat> at a ridiculously low price. i have been in England a grand total of approximately four months. Early morning traffic in London is somewhat trying to the soul, to say the least. A common practice I had observed was to pull out across a lane of oncoming traffic so that you could enter into a queue of traffic where the oncoming, motorist would always blink his lights to allow you in, indicating that he let you in the line of cars. Car after car ahead of me had done this no problem, as this is the way you have to do it in London if you're ever gonna get to the other side. I did it, and as I waited ever so patiently to be let in the line while sitting in the traffic lane, a demonic bicyclist came screaming up to the front of my car to go around me, yelled at me, cursed me, then hit my car as hard as he could with some bag he had in his hand and pedaled off. I was not happy. Now, being the cool, calm, and collected individual I am, I let out the clutch, burned rubber, crossed the lane, headed for a shortcut I knew about. I knew I could get ahead of this Beelzebub and latex. I did my best. I stopped blocks ahead, got out of the car, waited patiently behind, hidden behind a bush for him to come by. I'm still remembering this. It's embarrassing My intention was that when I saw him, I would jump in front of him, take him off his bicycle, tell him about his possible ancestry and their lack of paternal credentials, and share with him of my past expertise in rearranging bones. My mind was racing, and as I was ready, old thoughts and habits rising to the surface, this guy deserved to understand well that he couldn't get away with that, at least not with me. I was ready, willing, and able to render due justice to this guy for denting my car when I'd only done what everybody else always did when driving in London. As I waited for him to appear, the anticipation I felt as I was waiting for the bicyclist to come around the corner so I could jump out and grab him, suddenly changed to a very sick feeling in my stomach. I felt really sick and saw how foolish I was acting and knew that the ill feeling I had was coming from the grieving of God's spirit in me. Now, Once upon a time, I would not have given this a second thought, but not this occasion. After all, I was the principal of a Bible school and on my way to class to teach the love walk. The rider came near and I stood back, let him go by. My flesh didn't win, thank God. I remember getting back in the car, driving a short way, then pulling over to the side of the street after a few blocks stopping the engine and beginning to sob with my head against the steering wheel. I couldn't believe my utter weakness, much less my oh-so-evident shallowness of consecration. Yet the Lord was tender towards me and almost humorously said to me, this will not be what woos the loss to my kingdom. A bit of understatement, I thought at the time. That in itself may sound almost irreverent to some that he would speak to me after such an idiotic display of immaturity in such terms. I know how much some actually want to hear of his strong rebuke and chastisement ever such a thing. After all, we or I deserved it. It That maybe one of the very strongest truths we'll ever receive, if ever we do receive it on this side of heaven, is that a God of such infinite holiness and power has loved us as his very own children and deals with us as sons. The moment he senses within us even the trace of heartfelt remorse and sorrow for deeds done, He reaches out to us with his unlimited love and grace to pull us ever closer to him. He desires more to embrace us in those times than to depart from us. What an awesome personal God we serve. Judgment is his last recourse of action. He is long-suffering toward us all. This is the message Jesus Christ brought to earth. This is the goodness of God that is intended to draw our hearts to change and accept God's will, Romans 2.4. This is a question we must each answer for ourselves. Does God really desire this closeness to us to the point that in the midst of our stupidity, he still wants to be our friend, still wants to speak tenderly to us, still longs to draw us with cords of love? Or does he pounce on every wrong move we make as an opportunity to show his almighty dominion over us and make sure we know that hell is prepared for the ungodly? Which is the stronger side of God? What is the character of God? I would submit to you that it's very difficult to want to come close to draw near to someone you ultimately fear is looking for opportunity to destroy you. No, that's not the primary message that came in the person of Jesus. It's simply not what he came to display. Years ago, I had the privilege of sitting under a minister who taught me what he called the love walk. I'd heard many fine messages from this teacher, but none that impacted me as much as this. Within the framework of the teaching, I began to discover the deep need inside of me of the heart of the message, the revelation that I was not only forgiven for my past deeds, but indeed loved. And loved aggressively and not passively. As I yielded myself more and more to the revelation that began to come, God's spirit was faithful to begin an excavation work in my spirit and soul. I had no idea whatsoever that there were so many potholes in my life in which I continued to fall and wound myself, but a journey had begun. The Lord began to reveal to me the utter necessity of understanding that his love is the foundation of our entire Christian experience. Without this foundation laid correctly, and this is why this is so important to me, without this foundation being laid correctly from the very beginning, all other instruction and teaching will be off by varying degrees. He wants us to put first things first, and his love towards us, in us, and through us is without a doubt the first and primary key to everything else in life. Now, pride comes in so many forms, all of which are deadly. Some of their forms do their best to mask themselves in another likeness, but nevertheless, they are the killer of the life and soul. The more God's word began to come, the more I knew I needed a complete renovation. Throughout the process, which I have in no way completed, I've learned a few things that will hopefully be of help to yourself as well. First, we'll need to start with some basics, so be patient. Let us begin to look into this greatest of truths. Love is God, not one of his attributes. 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The Bible is clear and straightforward. God is love. Love isn't something he shows or something he offers. It is himself. Love isn't a feeling, an emotion, a goose bump or a fever. God is love. The apostle says categorically, if we don't love, we cannot presume to know him at all. Think about the simplicity of that statement. Don't skim that and disregard the power of the statement. He that loves not does not know God. The Amplified Bible puts it in this way. He who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not and never did know him for God is love. You see I really wanted to know God in his fullness not just in theory. This simple verse attacked me early in my Christianity. I wanted release from my past life and its memories and its wounds. I wanted to be a godly man. I realized the only way that could ever happen if I was if I could become lovely to be godly I needed to be lovely. Something deep inside, something told me deep inside that this issue of love was much more than any worldly definition I'd ever embraced, something much more powerful than its surface appearance. I did not know then that the Lord would begin in me a lifetime of redefining simple words from what had been formed for my thought and experiences to those of heaven's definitions. Heaven's heaven's definitions and earth's are very different, very different indeed. Definitions are important. You will live your life by what you've accepted as correct definitions. In 2 Thessalonians, there's a kingdom principle set forth. Paul is speaking of the coming day of the Lord and shares how some who did not receive, quote, the love of the truth, unquote, were therefore given over to strong delusion that they might believe a lie and be damned, for desiring the pleasure of unrighteousness more than the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 10 through 12. And with, all deceivab- and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned to believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The statement, believe a lie, is very powerful. You can believe a lie. A lie is not truth, but if you believe it, it is nevertheless truth to you. Think about that. What you accept as a correct definition of doctrine will, of course, determine your future direction because you will live your life by what you've accepted as truth, even if the truth you've believed is a lie. It will remain truth to you until someone comes along by God's grace and reveals a stronger truth to you and unveils the lie. I can think in my own life of how many things I truly, sincerely believed about others, about things, about myself, only to discover at a later date I was entirely wrong. We can all identify with that. Believing a lie is damning. For years, I believed what was said about me by my parole officers. I unfortunately have one of those testimonies of drug addiction and its accompanying insanity during the 60s, during which I went to prison for a term. My addiction was for some 15 years, however. I can remember one of my sisters asking my parole officer once, what's the chance was of my ever getting free from heroin addiction and its associated vices? He said, quote, those who've been addicted and involved as long as your brother have about a 90% return rate to prison, unquote. An interesting side thought here was that he went on to say that those who truly get free sometimes get free on some kind of what he called a Jesus kick. I had to laugh when I heard that years or later, years later, as that's exactly what happened to me. Jesus got a hold of me and kicked me right out of hell's dominion and into the kingdom of his love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My parole officers told me for years that I would spend the rest of my life in prison. They told me how I'd more than likely always return to heroin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's true, faith comes by hearing. And I heard that so much that I began to believe it and act accordingly. I believed the lie and I was damned for it. Wherever there are wrong definitions, there is delusion. Wherever there's delusion, there's disappointment. Wherever there's disappointment, there's dismay. Wherever there's dismay, there will come knocking depression. Where depression is allowed in, detachment soon follows. Detachment from purpose, detachment from destiny, detachment from God. I thank God that someone introduced me to truth and new definitions of life. Where truth enters, lies are exposed. I found out in my instance that I was not bound to a life of addiction and defeat at all. The devil had a plan. God had a better plan. I thought it was wise to choose God's plan. Love needs to be redefined for most of us. I learned years ago that the first law of correct Bible interpretation is to always interpret the scripture with the character of God in mind. How then can one rightly divide the word of God without first having a firm and correct comprehension of his character? God is love. Love authored the scriptures. Every verse was penned by love. Every principle and pattern came from love. God is altogether holy, altogether righteous, altogether love. His character is love. I believe we need to look again at this love. In these last days, it is this revelation of love that will empower and enable us to handle the darkness that is covering the earth. This was the heartbeat of the apostles' writings. Throughout the epistles, we see more detailed information and instruction regarding our relating to one another than any other topic in scripture. This is the message, 1 John 3.11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do we really hear this? This is the message. This is actually the only message. Everything, but everything, springs from this message. I just don't understand why we can't get this. I'm reminded of the the psalmist where he writes, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men, to see if there were any who understood, It says that in Psalm 14:2 and Psalm 53:2, our God is still a God of priorities, and He wants us to put first things first. Jesus Himself said, in answering the Pharisees about which command, Jesus Himself said, in answering the Pharisees about which command was weighty, He answered very simply, Matthew 22:34 through 40. Now, when the Pharisees heard that He had silenced and muzzled the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of their number, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him Teacher, what kind of commandment is great and important? The principal kind of the law. Some commandments are light, which are heavy. And he replied to him You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and intellect. This is the great, the most important, the principal and the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. These two commandments sum up and upon them depend all the law and the prophets. This is a strong commission. In Adam Clark's commentary from the 18th century, he gives a powerful narrative in regard to loving the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all all his mind. He defines all thy heart as follows. He who loves God with all his heart, who loves nothing in comparison with him and nothing but in reference to him, who is ready to give up, do, who has in his heart neither love nor hatred, Hope nor fear, inclination nor aversion, desire nor delight, but as they relate to God and are regulated by him. I surely couldn't say it any better to have every thought and emotion regulated by him. What a wonderful place to live that would be not receiving the influence of the world around us, but the influence of heaven's own atmosphere. We are indeed to accept Jesus as our own cornerstone. Jesus, the love of God incarnate, as our cornerstone, is to be the starting point of our every measurement of life. Our beginning, our rule of thumb, our place we always return to for perfect measure and direction. There is no other starting point, and He is to always be our place of return. We are to understand everything from Him, whether it be our emotions. Our purpose, in particular, our relativity to this life on earth. All thy soul, all thy life, ready to give up life for his sake, to endure all sorts of torments, to be deprived of comforts rather than dishonor God if necessary. Sorry, gotta get this piece here. Excuse me. I have a demonic piece of paper here. Hallelujah. It says, all thy life ready to give up life for his sake to endure all sorts of torments and to be deprived of comforts rather than dishonor God if necessary, who employs life with all its comforts and conveniences to glorify God in, by, and through. The part of Clark's statement here that captures me is the term employs life. I believe Jesus would agree with that term. He wants us to take our life and put it to work. We're to take our life, the one life that we've been given from him and fashion it as a polished arrow that's in the quiver of the Lord. He wants us on target, on the mark and able to fly straight and true. I remember as a young boy learning with my first child's bow and arrow set to carefully look down the shaft of the arrow to be sure it was not warped or crooked. A warped arrow would sure go in some strange unpredictable directions. While our God is no way waiting for us to reach perfection before he uses us, how much more would he choose us for a particular target if he knew that we were straight and able to fly true? God doesn't want us unemployed spiritually, accepting spiritual welfare. He wants us in service, following his example in living and, if need be, in dying also. He wants to be glorified in us, to be seen in us, to be better understood by the world through us. God, forgive us for the confusion we brought the world in our diminished portrayal of what it means to have Christ in us, the hope of glory. No, rather, we are to employ our life in the service of the King with our totality, all all thy mind. In a word, he who sees God in all things, thinks of him at all times having his mind continually fixed upon God, acknowledging him in all his ways. Our mind, how powerful is it to experience the effects of a renewed mind to the ways of God? One thing is certain, you do rejoice as you find yourself thinking differently than you used to think. It's thrilling to catch yourself not reacting to situations like you used to, but instead yielding to the mind of Christ within you. You suddenly realize you've grown, you've matured, you've become smarter, and you're more in control of your life. You're so aware that it's because you've simply begun to love him with your mind as well. Understanding has come, and your obedience to him comes now more from revelation of relationship rather than the duty of following instruction. You obey not because you're commanded, because you see the fruit and the wisdom of what he's shown you. Praise God for each and every one of those breakthroughs, for that is truly what they are. What an amazing truth for us to understand today. Jesus said that all the law and all the teaching of the prophets are summed up in the understanding of these two commandments. I'd like to submit another thought as well. Without an in-depth comprehension of these, the most important, the principle, the first commandment, You will not be able to interpret or divide correctly the Old Testament. Your spirit will be troubled when you read scriptures like, quote, I make peace and create evil, Isaiah 45, 7. You'll think God is schizophrenic, unstable, double-minded, but no, you're simply a God who keeps covenant. As I said earlier, we will have to receive a new definition of love. We We will find out quickly that love and covenant cannot be separated as you cannot understand God or his word without understanding his character of love, neither will we be able to understand God or his ways without revelation of covenant. Paul said this very powerfully in Ephesians 2.12, speaking of our lives before coming into Christ that, quote, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God and the world, unquote. I want to say it another way as well. To be a stranger to or ignorant of covenant understanding and covenant terminology will still cause us today to be as good as in the world without God. Why? Because everything God does is based upon his covenant dealings with his people. When God dealt with Israel, it was according to his covenants. When God deals with us today, it's according to the new covenant that's based upon better promises, but it's still according to covenant. To not understand this is to not understand God's dealings. This is why too many Christians are without hope. They don't know the covenant. They don't know love who drew it up, ratified it himself, and delivered it to us freely, but at a great cost to himself through the death of his only begotten son. This is the message that we should love one another, covenant love uncompromising love, never failing love. We've been inextricably forever joined to love. Love's spirit has come to dwell in us. We are asked to love with the same love that he loved us with. How could we be asked to do that if it were not possible? It is possible. Our world is desperately in need of a visitation from our God. They need to see our God. They've heard much, but they've not seen nearly enough. Or what they have seen has fallen so short compared to what the Lord wants them to see that it's an embarrassment. Just how important is this love through us to the Father is powerfully brought to light by John's statement in 1 John 4, 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us And his love is perfected in us. No man has seen God at any time. It's so simple, isn't it? If we would love one another, however, God would dwell in us. The implication is the only way the world is going to see God is when they see him in us as we love one another. That is the message. That is the crux of the gospels. That is 90% of the message of the epistles. That is the message. Even at the beginning of this book, I find myself hesitating. When I'm asked to speak at seminars, conferences, et cetera, often I'm asked as to what theme I'm going to speak on. I've watched for years the expressions on people's faces and even other ministers when I've said love. You can almost hear them stifling the yawns, thinking to themselves, quote, how boring. We want something with revelation, something with fire, something with power, unquote. I do understand, however, because I used to be one of them. Nevertheless, to speak of love is to speak of God himself. No wonder Satan has done such a strong job of getting us to major on doctrinal issues, thus giving way to religious spirits rather than majoring on the hard cry of the Father, which foundation is solidly based upon his unchanging love. In times past, if I read a bulletin sharing of an upcoming speaker teaching on God loves you or a similar topic, I'd definitely stay away. I mean, after all, we all know, we all know that God loves us, don't we? We've all heard that we're supposed to be nice to each other, forgive, keep smiling, etc. I didn't know either. More embarrassment. Somewhere along the line, the message of love has become old hat, not quote unquote today's message, secondary, or simply not something that draws us. Today, we're in the middle of the restoration of the prophetic and the apostolic, after all. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm a believer in that. I'm married to a wonderfully anointed prophetic lady of God by some of my best friends or apostles and prophets. My opportunity for sadness is just that in the middle of all these wonderful moves of God's spirit and the manifestations of his glorious anointings, I want to see also the spiritual fiber of Christ that will enable the consistency of, and the longevity we need. Along these lines, we're globally calling for revival, and we're witnessing pools of refreshing here and there for which we are also grateful. But Lord, help us not forget why we study, quote-unquote, past revivals and why they became past and not ongoing. Research for yourself and discover the disunity that crept in, the lack of the essential ingredient of teaching that was not in place for new believers. The lack of love, which God intended to be the glue to hold things together when times of shaking came. This time, let's have spiritual substance, right foundations, quality relationships that can weather conflict. Let's let love rule. Government always looks best upon love's shoulders anyway. Let's keep the message clear and put first things first. Love is the message. Upon these two commandments, Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang. How powerful is that? Every truth of the law of Moses and of the utterances of the Old Testament prophets is dependent upon revelation of these two commandments. Love God with all your heart and love one another with equal fervency. Love is the connection that will cause everything else to function correctly. If God's love isn't the priority of study, we run the risk of having our doctrine tainted with error or administered from a warped perspective. Remember, it only takes a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. This love is what motivates men and women to leave places of comfort and go to foreign lands and live extremely inconvenient lives because something stronger has captured them. History is full of such people who became so aware of God's love for them and his love for people that they just couldn't help it. They had to go and tell the story. Let's look again at what it does mean to represent God Almighty and walk in love. Let's see where the power gifts begin to function with consistency Let's define a fresh love. Hallelujah. Our worship team is going to come back up now a little bit in a second. I just want to tell you again, we're going to continue with this, like I said, when I come back in two weeks. But please, though this was different, and yes, I read something, but I pray that you heard the crux of what I was saying. There is no greater, there is no greater message in God's love how he loved us even when we are dead in sins and trespasses. That, to me, is still one of the most incredible truths. You do not have to get better first. Hallelujah. You do not have to get better first before you come to Christ. He accepts you in the midst of all of your issues. He cleans you after you come to him. It's like the old parable. You don't clean a fish before you catch him. You catch a fish, and then you clean it. And see, that's all God wants. He wants you to come to him and allow this incredible, the most supernatural aspect of heaven is God's love. There is nothing more supernatural than the love of God and manifestation. So I pray you'll stick with us in the weeks to come. We have a lot to go through. We're literally going to go through every single epistle and look how the, the issue in all of it is the crux of God's love. Amen? Love you much. God bless you richly.